Hey everybody and welcome. I'm Kathy Baker and I have the great privilege of leading a wonderful group of women called WOW, Women of Worth. And we're in this series that I'm calling Psalm 23, Becoming or Being a Sheep to the Shepherd. And I am so excited about the great response I had to session one. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen and learn all about the traits of sheep and the traits of shepherds. Today we're going to dig into Psalm 23 verse 1. We're going to look at the, the two lines in there. We're going to go deep into those two lines. Now let's catch up with last week. We learned that we're very much like sheep. We tend to wonder. We're followers. We often settle. We sometimes get cast down, but we're highly valued. We are priceless according to our Good Shepherd. We learned that He protects us and He cares for us and He tends to our wounds and He'll shelter us. And if we stray, when we stray, He is coming after us. He will leave the 99 to find us the one. Well, today, let's look at Psalm 23, verse 1. We're going to focus on three areas. We're going to look at the shepherd, and we're going to look at how Jesus describes him being a shepherd, and then we're going to look at wants, our wants, and figure out what that means. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord my shepherd in Hebrew is Jehovah Ra. Let's break that down a little bit. First of all, Jehovah means to exist. It also suggests to become or specifically to be known. This implies that we have a God who reveals himself unceasingly. Ra, that word in Jehovah Ra, means shepherd in Hebrew. And a shepherd is one who feeds or leads his flock to pasture. Now, an extended translation of this word Ra also means friend or companion. This indicates the intimacy that God desires between himself and his people. When we put those two words together, Jehovah Ra, it can be translated, the Lord my friend. David says, the Lord is his shepherd, my shepherd. It's a very personal reference. He doesn't call him a shepherd. He's not a distant shepherd. He's not one of those hirelings. He's a personal shepherd, David's friend. The Lord is my friend. How do you see the Lord? I'm going to give you several examples of what scripture says the Lord is and I want you to begin to think about this statement and how you would fill in the blank. The Lord is my, and then fill in the blank. Pause for a moment on the video or this audio you may be listening to on a podcast, and then think about how you fill in that word. Now let's look at some scripture that fills in that blank. Exodus 15 verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. Exodus 17, 15 says, the Lord is my banner. 2 Samuel 22, verse 2 says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Psalm 16, 5 reads, the Lord is my portion and my cup. Psalm 18, 2 says, the Lord is my rock 
and my fortress and my deliverer. Psalm 27 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 28 verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. And Psalm 118 14 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. <coughs> Hebrews 13 6 says, The Lord is my helper. Who is the Lord to you? Which one of those words would you choose? Well, you know, as I read over them, I am reminded that I would choose different words in different times of my life and in different experiences and in different days and maybe in different hours. But the Lord is our shepherd, our friend. Well, God calls us his. Let's look at what Isaiah 43, 1 says. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Whenever my children or my grandchildren call me on the phone, I, I usually answer in some way like this. Hello, my son. Or, hello, my Joshua. Hello, my Jordan. Hello, my sweet Stella. Oh, hello, my Will. Oh, hello, my Elijah. See, they are mine. I call them by name. God tells us that we are His. God is a personal God. He's not a distant God. He bought us with a price. So God can rightly claim, you are mine. He knew us before we were born. He formed us in our mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on our head. And David said he collects our tears in a bottle. Oh, yes, he is ours and we are his. What does it mean that he is our shepherd? Well, I want us to look into what that means according to the words of Jesus. We're going to read in John chapter 10 that Jesus describes his role as a good shepherd, a very personal shepherd. And I think that's going to be important for us in this study to hear both how David sees God as his shepherd and then how Jesus in the New Testament shows us that he is our very personal shepherd. So to properly understand John 10, I'm going to give you some of the back information that's going to illuminate a little bit about the words that Jesus is using. Well, in order to do that, we need to back up and know what has happened in the previous chapter in John 10. Jesus healed a man born blind. But those Pharisees had a hard time accepting it. They insulted the man, threatened him, and finally excommunicated him from the religious life of Israel. They cast away one of the sheep of the nation of Israel. But Jesus, the true shepherd, found him and lovingly brought him into the fold of God. Jesus now has healed the man born blind. 
had the conversation with the Pharisees, and then he is going to take them to school. So uh, let's see what he's going to say about shepherds. So to get this next bit of information, we're going to take a look at the shepherds in the field and how that worked, because we need to understand what Jesus is explaining. When the shepherd was in the field, he could protect them at night by putting them in a pen. Well, this pen would be a big enclosure. Sometimes it was round, sometimes it was rectangular. It was made of a fence of rocks. There would be an opening to this enclosure. And the shepherd would become the gate in that opening. He would sleep in this opening so that no sheep could get out without passing over him and no dangerous animal could enter without encountering the shepherd at the gate. If the shepherd was in a really populated area, there would be a community pen with a door into the pen guarded by a gatekeeper. During the night, a guard would watch the sheep in the sheepfold and would protect them. After an evening's rest, the shepherd would get up, he would eat breakfast, and eventually come and call his sheep to himself. Even when the shepherds needed to separate the flocks, the sheep would recognize the voice of their own personal shepherd and would come when they were called. The sheep would know the voice of their shepherd and they would only follow their own shepherd. Now, with all of that in mind, let's look at John 10. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate in the sh is the shepherd of the sheep. The first thing that Jesus wanted these Pharisees to understand was that they were the false shepherds. They were sheep rustlers, we could call them. The Greek word translated as sheep refers to a petty sheep, uh, thief who steals from people around them. And the word robber refers to a band of robbers. So Jesus says that these Pharisees are thieves and robbers who come through the flock of sheep. He's alluding to false shepherds, false shepherds of Israel, these Pharisees who did not really love the people, nor were they willing to sacrifice for them. They were self-appointed and self-righteous false prophets. They were the ones who had led the sheep of Israel astray. They were not the true shepherds of Israel, but they were like thieves that went in and plundered the flock for their own gain. Wow, that must have really hit home. How do you think that looked at that moment? Well, sadly, there are a lot of false shepherds around today. There are, there are leaders of Christian organizations, pastors, teachers, who are more interested in fleecing their own flock for their personal gain than in feeding and protecting the sheep. And they are false shepherds instead of the true shepherds who, who use the pattern of Jesus as the true shepherd. 
Well, what else does the Bible say about these false shepherds? We read in Jeremiah 50, verse 6, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. You see, in this passage, back in the Old Testament, God sent a message through the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah. God is upset that his people are lost, and he speaks in this metaphor. But note, God is not angry with his people. He describes them as lost, lost sheep. Instead, God levels the accusations against their shepherds, their leaders. This is what Jesus is doing, as we read in John 10. Today, many Christians are led astray by bad shepherds who serve as teachers, leaders, and pastors who themselves are not leading righteous lives. Now, back into John 10, let's look as Jesus continues. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the door and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. You cannot fool sheep when it comes to recognizing their shepherd's voice. They will not respond to the voice of strangers. That's how loyal they are to their shepherd. That's why Jesus says in verse 5, something that sounds like this, they won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they're not used to the sound of it. One day, a man in Australia was arrested for stealing a sheep. However, he claimed that it was his own and that sheep had been missing from his flock for many days. Well, at first, the judge was puzzled, not knowing how to decide the matter. At last, he asked the sheep be brought before him. Then he took one of the men, the man who made the accusation, into the courtyard and told him to call the animal. The sheep made no response except to raise his head and looked frightened as if it dreaded being in the unfamiliar place with this stranger. Well, the officer took the man back into the courtroom. Then he instructed the officer to bring down the defendant. The accused man did not wait until he entered the yard, but as he drew near the gate, before the sheep could see him, he began to make his particular call. Overjoyed, the sheep bounded toward the gate and by his actions showed that he recognized the familiar voice of his shepherd. His sheep know him, said the judge. And so that case was quickly decided. Well, Jesus shares this allegory in John to explain who he is. The shepherd of the sheep in this illustration is Jesus Christ. And any other person is considered a robber or a thief. He is the door. Jesus is the door. He is the shepherd. Jesus is the way. He is going to explain how he is the way, the way to eternal life. 
and he's the one who keeps us safe. So according to Jesus' illustration, we're going to look at what he says good shepherds do. Number one, the good shepherd calls the sheep by name and knows them thoroughly. This shows a really personal relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Number two, the good shepherd leads them out. In contrast to false shepherds who lead people astray, Jesus had healed the man born blind, but he did more than that physical healing. Jesus led that man out of a place of spiritual blindness. The once blind man was now his sheep, and he came to his true shepherd. He leads us also out of our spiritual blindness. You know, as I was preparing for this the, the, and reading these verses about the shepherd leading them out, I kept hearing the, the words to that beautiful hymn, He leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Well, number three, the good shepherd is recognized by his voice. We read that the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And, and the shepherd leads his sheep. The shepherd talks to them, showing his constant care for them. Sometimes the shepherd would talk louder and a little more sharply to get the sheep's attention and remind them of his presence. The sheep only trust in him and they flee from strangers. We can hear the voice of Jesus, our shepherd today. If you're already a Christian, a follower of Christ, you've heard his voice because he called you to become his daughter or his son. Someone shared with you, perhaps through a Christian message, you read it in the Bible, or, or someone showed you uh, different places in the Bible to study and, and know about this Jesus. Well, this is exactly how God speaks to us. That's how we hear his voice, through someone else sharing with us or through reading in the Bible and hearing God's words as we pray. It is through the Holy Spirit working within us to get our attention that we hear God's voice. Sometimes God will use a really strong conviction. That's a feeling that we have in our heart, urging us to do something or helping us to understand what we have read in the Bible. Well, sometimes I hear people, they will come to me and they'll say, I'm just not sure if I'm really hearing God's word, if I'm really hearing his voice. Well, we can hear God's voice through very dedicated Christian people who will, who will help us to understand a little bit better about God's word and his voice. We can understand through reading scripture, sometimes a thought comes into our mind, but all of these ways need to be in line with what the Bible teaches. That's number one. It's what I'm hearing consistent with what Scripture says. God will never ask us to do something or say something unless it is in line with what the Bible says. We can talk to God and to Jesus by just speaking out the things we think and want Him to know. And this is called praying. God wants us to know his way and his will through his voice. If we're not sure if something is from God, ask him to make it clear. 
You can be sure that if he is speaking, he will definitely help you to be sure. I love what Pastor John Piper said about hearing God's voice. The way he means for us to live is to be so familiar with his voice from a thousand pages of precious scripture that we sense his will where he is silent. It's a beautiful way to live and hear God's voice, isn't it? Number four, the good shepherd goes before. In verse four, Jesus said he goes before them. Unlike the Pharisees who were self-centered, the true shepherd of the sheep stays with his sheep and he goes right in front of them. He's the first to experience what lies ahead, facing the dangers and obstacles that may be in store for his sheep. He chooses the best pasture and the safest areas for them to graze. He indeed goes before us. Well, the message of this allegory is that Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who's willing to die to go before us. And he did die for those who who put their faith in him. Any other person who claims to be the true shepherd is a robber or a thief, a false shepherd. This was a powerful message to the Jewish religious leaders who considered themselves to be the true shepherds of God's flock. Now, this allegory that he shared to that group gathered around him, including those Pharisees, might have been confusing to some of the hearers. So he's going to explain a little bit more. And at the same time, he's adding some new elements. So let's hear what Jesus says in verse 6. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus says, I am the door. That's a metaphor he gives to describe himself as a door. While fences and hedges create all sorts of difficulties to the thief and the robber who are trying to get into the pasture, the door of Jesus Christ has hinges, it opens. It opens for his people. There is no climbing, no jumping, no scurrying through all the ways to get into that sheepfold. That's what an enemy does. Rather, there is a welcome with an open door. He receives us. He never rejects us. He doesn't try to trick us or trap us. He doesn't hide from us. He is the one who will give us eternal life, a better life than we could ever dream or imagine. So first of all, he describes himself as the door. He is the door to eternal salvation. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares, who watches and protects those who believe in him. 
Now, next, he tells us that he is the good shepherd in the example. So look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And then he proceeds to tell very specific things the shepherd does for his sheep. Now, connecting this with Psalm 23 is so beautiful because we have read what David says about the shepherd. And now we're seeing what Jesus says about the good shepherd. He says the good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and he runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. He goes on and we read in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. He says once again, I know my sheep and my own sheep know me. In the same way, the father knows me and I know the father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in my pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice because then it will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. Because I freely lay down my life, and so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I received this authority personally from my Father. Now let's look at what Jesus teaches about himself as the good shepherd in this passage. The first thing he says, the shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. The shepherd takes on anything that will bring harm to his flock. (coughs) And he will use all measures. He will use his rod, his voice, and his body. And our good shepherd sacrifices his life for the flock. The second thing he says, the good shepherd and his sheep have a mutual understanding. He says in this passage, I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. Jesus is referring to this mutual, intimate knowledge of the shepherd for the sheep. The shepherd who can call each one by name. He knows their peculiarities and their weaknesses and accommodates for these as he shepherds them. And in turn, they trust their shepherd because he always looks out for them. He rescues them when they get lost or caught in something. He brings them to the best places to graze and get water. They can trust him. And so when he speaks, they listen and follow. The third thing he says, the good shepherd puts sheep first. See, we see the shepherd lying down at the gate. And when we fully understand he is protecting them from all that is outside the gate. So he is putting himself first. He's the first line of defense, isn't he? Because on the other side are the predators, are the robbers, are the thieves, are the wolves, are the enemies. It's all the danger. He puts his sheep first. 
And the next thing he says, the good shepherd has a compelling need, a sense of urgency to bring more sheep in. He says, I need to gather and bring them too, Jesus says. See, he wants to have a sheepfold full of sheep. The sixth thing he says is, the good shepherd is loved by the Father. Jesus is an obedient son. He was willing to give his life for his sheep. That's what God sent him on earth to do. And God gave him all authority to do so. All authority in heaven and in earth. Jesus was dearly loved by his Father. Well, this passage in, in John is the gospel in a nutshell. Let's look at it this way. The good shepherd guides his sheep, gathering also other sheep, so that they will become one flock with one shepherd. Isn't that the beautiful story of the gospel? Is that is what we're all trying to do, is to gather more sheep to come and experience the sheepfold, just as we have. We get that sense of urgency, too, when we get really connected to our shepherd. We want to bring more in to the flock. Remember what had just occurred now. The man born blind had been healed and thrown out of the synagogue by the Jewish leaders because he had confessed Jesus. And now Jesus, the good shepherd, finds him and gathers him up. That's why Jesus is telling this story. It's in contrast to the scattering that the Jews have just committed. They scatter and Jesus gathers. You know, we can look back in our own lives and see where false leaders, false teachers, the enemy causes chaos and trouble. It causes people to scatter, whether they scatter physically or scatter in their mind. But Jesus brings his people together. He keeps them united as one at peace and love with the shepherd. All of this gives us a better understanding of what Psalm 23 refers to as our shepherd, my shepherd. Let's move on to the second part of verse 1 and hear the first promise in Psalm 23. God promises us provision. Psalm 23 Verse 1, the second part says, I shall not want. Well, the Hebrew word for want is to lack, to be without, to be lacking, to have a need. So let's look at how other versions say this. The New International Version says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The New Living Translation says, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Christian Standard says, I have what I need. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, there is nothing I lack. David couldn't always say this in his life. There were periods in his life where he wasn't proclaiming, I have everything I need. In fact, he was doing just the opposite. Let's hear what David says in Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? He certainly didn't sound as if he was on the mountaintop of faith, does it? 
Likely, he didn't compose Psalm 23 when he cried out in Psalm 10. O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Or Psalm 13, when he said, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Well, most of us understand this contrast between faith and anxiety as part of our struggle on earth. It's so complex when we think about the times where we're living high in faith and on that mountaintop. And then we try to understand why we don't stay there. We try to understand why on other days we're living as David lived with a lot of anguish in our soul. We, one day we proclaim my shepherd is all I need. I have I like nothing. And another day, we're struggling with anxiety. We feel far, far away from God. Yet we claim that He is the one that we worship. And one day we proclaim that God is our shelter from the storm, our strong tower, our hiding place, or fill in whatever word you used when you said, the Lord is my but on another day, we say God's hiding from us. Which way we see God is completely dependent on our perspective and not necessarily the truth of the shepherd's presence in our lives. See, often our perspective changes according to our circumstance. When in reality, the shepherd is always present. We are the ones who often move far, far away. This verse makes a proclamation, the Lord is my shepherd. And then it makes this confessional statement, I have all that I need. There's nothing I lack. That's a proclamation and a confession. When we claim the promise of provision, we're making this confession that sounds like this. I lack nothing. I have all that I need. Which is the harder part for you? The Lord is my shepherd or I like nothing. Does David mean to say that the Lord being our sh his shepherd, then he is never going to lack anything in any way or any manner? Well, of course not. I wonder when David said, I shall not want. Was this a statement that he had always already accepted as true? Or was this a reminder to himself not to seek satisfaction outside of God? Maybe he was recalling those times he had cried out. Where are you, God? You have forsaken me. And he was reminding himself, the Lord is my shepherd and I won't want anything. Often we tell ourselves these things in those times where we are very tempted to live in lack. We remind ourselves that the Lord is my shepherd and I really don't need anything. 
I think we're very much like David, and we have that emotional roller coaster where sometimes we are we're connected on that high place with God, and then we go down into the deep valley. And in those valleys are the times where we remind ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd, and I really don't lack anything. God gives me all the provisions that I need. Well, this confession implies that the Lord will meet our needs and there will be times of need, like when we are in the valley. See, people often need a job. They need food. They need rest. People also need peace and calm and direction. We are needy sheep and our shepherd will provide. Those two can be true at the same time. We can be needy people. And we have a shepherd who will give us those provisions. Just as God gave David a table in the face of his enemies. So the Lord will give us what we need. This is not saying, uh, it's saying not only can God take care of my physical needs, but he can fulfill me. He can satisfy my heart. See, provision comes in many forms. From the spiritual viewpoint, there will be adversities, there will be challenges, there will be circumstances, there will be problems. Those are needs. But with this faith demonstrated in Psalm 23 verse 1, He is our shepherd and He will care for us with His abundant love that He will give us what we really need. He will always give us grace according to our circumstances. We truly lack nothing that is really important or what we really need. Think about this. When the Lord is the shepherd of my life, a quiet conversation begins to take place in my mind and in my heart. The worldly things we've always wanted begin to loosen their grip on us. We begin to think differently. We begin to feel differently about the things that we want. This is the process of transforming our lives and renewing our mind. We think differently about our wants and what our needs are. As this wise pastor once said that when a person comes to faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ, the new convert's wanter begins to change. It's true. The conversion of the wanter begins however slowly, but little by little, we experience something we've been wanting our whole life. Contentment. We are no longer in want. Isn't that our goal? To move from living in want to being content. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. We must consistently check ourselves to see to what degree we are living in want and what degree we are living in content. We can say it this way in words that we're making up. 
<laughs> Am I a wanter or a contenter? David is not saying that a loving God will deliver to us all the material things that we could ever imagine. See, there would be no end to that, would there? King David is not promising financial and material blessings, although those might come. I shall not want means I shall have something that eludes most people today. I will have contentment, security, peace, joy, and fellowship with God. And that is enough. Can we live with that mindset of contentment and having enough? In addition to meeting these physical needs, he meets the needs of our soul and our spirit. See, the Holy Spirit provides us with what we need spiritually and emotionally, what we need in our soul and our spirit. And it comes from the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, those are things we need also. We don't always recognize as things that we might lack. We might lack a lot of peace, but the Holy Spirit provides those also. Those are provisions. The Good Shepherd provides all those needs in order for us to demonstrate His light in the world. Think about that. Those are needs we didn't realize we needed. Now, it's really hard to get to the point we really believe that we have no needs. Because in our world today, we constantly live in this lack mentality. We often think about what we don't have, what we haven't done, or haven't achieved yet. I, I was doing a study, once again, I, I do this from time to time, about child development and what children go through in different stages of life. And, and the last article I read was one that takes this development all the way through the senior years of life. And the senior years of life are the very ones where people begin to think about what they don't have, what they didn't do, what they did not achieve. So you see, through all stages of life, we evaluate where we are with our wants and with our needs. Stephen Covey, the author, termed scarcity mentality or lack mindset. And this is a person uh, who might be trapped in this lack, a lack mindset. And so this person lives in this fear-based world of never having enough money, time, connections, attention, rest, health, happiness, credentials, power, and love. They have this conviction of scarcity that distorts and constricts their thinking. I hope if, if, if you haven't listened to my previous series on the body, the soul, and the spirit, I hope you'll go back and do that. In that four-week session, I, I talked about um, how our mind is controlling our brain and our body, and what we think about is what we will live out. And this goes to that point 
that when we begin to have a scarcity mindset and we're looking at what we don't have, then what that is doing is that sending that message out that we are not trusting our Good Shepherd. Living with a perspective of lack cuts off the expectation for happiness and joy in life's bounty. That's how Stephen Covey says it. Here's how I say it. We can choose to live in either a lack mindset or an abundant mindset. It's our choice. I wonder how much our lives would change if we didn't live from this mental lack, but lived by the truth that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, that's a switch in our thinking. We switch from telling ourselves, we must have, we must do, we must achieve, to I have what I need. I have an abundant life would then be able to look at those dry and empty places in our lives and truly see how God is still always providing and protecting us, even when we're walking through our own valley of the shadow of death. Let's summarize now what David might mean by I shall not want. First of all, he's saying, there are areas in my life that only God can fulfill, and He will fulfill them. And then the second thing he says is, I've made the decision not to desire anything outside of the scope of what God wants for me. See, this summary gives us a truth from Scripture and it implies we each have our own decision-making to do. We have a choice to either accept it or reject it. We can claim this promise of provision or we can reject it. Let's strive to make this claim based on Psalm 23.1. When the Lord is my shepherd, I have enough. I am content. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of provision in this passage today. Thank you for letting us hear the words of Jesus describe what it means to have a true good shepherd. Help us to claim the promise in this scripture that you are my shepherd and that I will choose not to want. I will know that you provide all my needs. It's in the name of Jesus the Good Shepherd, I pray. Amen. Thank you once again for joining me. <clears throat> I look forward to next week.